and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. A reading from Exodus 3. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, Let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. I'm here. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, Abraham and Sarah's God, Isaac and Rebekah's God, Jacob and Rachel's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cries of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where many tribes already live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But who am I to go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I will be with you, and this will show you that I am the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship on this mountain. If I come to the Israelites, and I say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, what is this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? I am who I am. Say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Thanks be to God. Amen. Today we are introducing our theme. For the 2022-2023 church year, and the theme, if you haven't caught on to it yet, is be. Be. Be is a verb. Being is the present participle form of that verb for all you English majors out there. Being means objectively to exist. Being is also a noun, if you're paying attention. It's a thing that exists. 
most often a living thing. We call them living beings. Being is a quality that everybody in this room shares. We exist. Amen? Amen. Amen. We exist. We are. We are alive. And yet, being is something that many of us, unfortunately, take for granted. Very few of us spend a lot of time reflecting on our being. That tends to change, however, when we experience something as a threat to our being, when we get sick, when life throws us into upheaval, when we lose someone that we love. That's when we tend to become aware of the fragility and the precarity, and the beauty, and the miracle of our being. Everybody in this room has been living for two or more years through a time in our history when threats to our being are as close as the next human being. COVID-19 has been a threat to our being that we've lived with now for several years. The climate catastrophe, there is no other word for it than that, is an existential threat to our being that we live with every single day. Part of the reason that your pastoral staff at the church felt drawn to this theme is that we are being threatened. Our beings are threatened every day and have been for the last few years. But it's not just by COVID-19 or by the climate change. At times, it even feels to me like the very way of life that we human beings have created, the way of life that we call normal, that that itself is a threat to our being. We have our heads down, our faces buried in screens rather than looking up at each other. We work long hours, probably too long, amen? At jobs that we don't always feel are existentially valuable. No offense at my own job. (laughs) We navigate on a daily basis faceless bureaucracies in order to get things like medicine for times when we're sick. We live in a culture that tells us in so many ways that we are only responsible for ourselves and not for each other. Sometimes I think what we call normal life is itself antagonistic to our being. When your being is in danger, It destabilizes you in a profound way, a way that you may not always even be consciously aware of. Anxiety is something that many of us deal with on a day-in and day-out basis. That is a response to a threat to your being. We lose sleep. 
We find ourselves in periods of malaise or despair. We self-medicate. Threats to our being, whether they are imagined or real, are existential threats. So when you come to church this year, all throughout this year, we want you to focus some of your attention on your being. How is your being? Pay attention to your own well-being. We also want to invite all of you to think about our being together. How are we as a congregation and as a wider community, how are we being together? Are we with each other and for each other? And finally, I want you to spend some time and some energy reflecting on the being of God. What can we say about God's being and how God's being affects our being. So I chose to begin with this story of Moses' encounter with God in the desert at the burning bush. So let's dive into this story for a brief moment and see if we can uncover some things that it might say about being. I know you were listening. I'm so glad that Victoria, on her second day of being with us, got to play God. It's a good thing for an intern to kind of play with. In the story, where is Moses? Where is he? Yeah, so he's in the desert, right? Midian is this place uh, where he is uh, with his father-in-law. I I know all of you know where Midian is. You can place it on a map in your minds. But what you need to know really is that Midian is far away from everything, right? So Midian is far away, and then Moses, even, even more so, he is in the desert. He is there literally and figuratively. He's there because why? He's a fugitive, Years and years ago, he killed an Egyptian soldier when that soldier was abusing one of his fellow Israelites, so Moses ran away. And even though he is raised in Pharaoh's own house, Moses is afraid that if he has to go back, his true identity as an Israelite will be revealed. Israelites were effectively non-beings in the eyes of the Egyptians. So Moses is there out in the desert with his father-in-law's sheep. And the story says he goes out to like the edge of the desert. It's like the edge of the edge of place, right? The wilderness of the wilderness. Of course, that is where God's sacred mountain is. Of course, God is at the edge of the wilderness. He goes to Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. So you see that this setting for this encounter with God is at the edge of the world, and Moses is a person in this moment whose own being feels fragile. In that place, Moses sees something. What does he see? Yeah, uh, so a bush, a shrubbery, right? It's on fire. But it's not burning up, and Moses is curious. And then Moses hears something. What does he hear? A voice. Moses. 
a voice calling out his very own name. And Moses says what in response? Here I am. Moses locates himself in that place, in that time. He's not dreaming. He is there experiencing this theophany. And God, for the story says, the voice belongs to God, says, take off your shoes. I am the God of your ancestors, and I have seen my people, the people whom I love desperately being oppressed. I have heard their cries of suffering. I've come to rescue them and deliver them into freedom. And to do that, Moses, I need you. I need you to go and tell the Pharaoh to free my people. God sends Moses on a fool's errand to preserve the being to redignify the being of a people deemed worthless. That's a biblical pattern, by the way. Moses, to his great credit, is ambivalent. Right? I know the scripture lifts up Abraham as the pillar of faith for his obedience to God and going to sacrifice his son Isaac, but in my book, Abraham is borderline criminal, let alone worthy of emulation. But Moses, now here is a faith that I commend to you to emulate. Notice how much agency Moses has in this story. The text says that it's Moses who moves toward the site of the burning bush. Moses has what I would call a holy curiosity, amen? Right? He's willing to see a sign when God puts it in his sight, and he's willing to go toward it. It is not until Moses makes a move toward that bush that God speaks to him. Notice also that when God tells Moses to do this outlandish thing, when God says, go to the most powerful man in existence, go to the man in charge of the fiercest armies in the world, go to the man who will expose your true identity and likely crush you, go tell him to let my people go. Moses' response is, are you sure it's me that you want? Moses gently but persistently pushes back against God. But God is ready. God says to Moses, in that moment, the one thing that all of us want to hear. Whether we are being called in the moment to do something great or whether we are simply alone with our thoughts, God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. That is God's assurance to Moses. And it remains God's assurance to you. And Moses is still not convinced he still says, well, well, when the Israelites 
say, what God has sent you, what should I tell them? What, may I ask, is your name? Names do matter. They do. Everything has a name. Every one of you has a name. Every, everything that you can see right now has a name. Our names mark our uniqueness. They are ours alone. It is our identity, our name. In the first creation story, giving beings their names is woven into the very act of creating them. Names are sacred. You could even say that a thing does not exist until it has a name. So what is God's name? Ooh, that's a doozy of a question. It is four letters. It's on your screen. In Hebrew, you read from right to left. These four letters are consonants. There are no vowels. Made me think of Mr. Mixelplick in the old Superman cartoons, right? But the vowels are not left out here by accident. They're not there. Which makes this name of God unpronounceable. You are not able to say this name. Why not? Well, there's a sense in the Hebrew scriptures that you probably know of the absolutely beautiful and blinding holiness of God. Even as God comes close to us, even as God delights in us, even as God loves us tenderly and passionately, the text still insists there's something about God's being that is unfathomable, ungraspable. We can't look at God's face. We can't make an image of this God. Even though we know God's name in our hearts, we cannot speak it with our lips. Later on in the scriptures, they will replace this unsayable name with Adonai, which means Lord. And to this day, our Jewish friends still refer to God as Hashem, which simply means the name. But even though you and I cannot say this name, it's not gibberish. It's not just a bunch of random letters thrown together. Etymology you perhaps know, is the study of words and their origins. And when you dig into the etymology of this name, you find some marvelous things. This name of God, these four letters, seem to have a connection to another Hebrew word, which is hava. Hava is the word that means be. It's hard to know because there are no vowels exactly how to render this. Is it a noun? Is it a verb? But scholars over the years have done their darn best. They have offered all kinds of different translations about this yod Hey vav Hey. They've said it means the one who is. 
the everlasting one, the existing one. Some have read the tense as future-oriented and have offered the one who will be, the one who is becoming, the one bringing into being, the one who brings into existence whatever exists. Some have even said that being in time and in place is intimated in this name and have said the name of God means I will be present wherever and whenever I choose to be present. What is the name of God? What is God's identity? That quality of God that sets God apart and also which connects God to us What makes God, God? I don't know what you make of this. Maybe you think that it's all just having fun with words, a bunch of language games, this playing with the name of God. But let me offer what I think about it. Thousands of years ago, when our mothers and fathers in the faith were reflecting on their experience of God. They tried to find words. They tried to find language to describe what is indescribable. They tried to find words for their sense of awe. They tried to find words for their overwhelming sense of wonder. They tried to find words that named this experience, this peculiar sense that they had that when they were by themselves, when they found themselves even out at the very edge of existence, when their being felt precarious or even threatened, even in those places, even in those moments, they were not alone. Our being, our being, our being is not all that is. They imagined a God. They knew a God who is the source of being itself. What is God's name? You cannot speak it, but you know it. You know it just as surely as you know your own name, just as surely as you know that you are. You know God. Who shall I say has sent me, Moses asks. Tell them, I am. Let the church say, Amen.